Alright, good day everybody. Here we are, the ex Umbers Podcast. I'm myself, Scholar McClary and Schoolman Fawcett, coming to you from uh, the Chesterton Academy of St. Isidore, the world's only online Chesterton Academy. Uh, and one of the classes we offer is a religion class, so if you want to know what that might be like, uh, please feel free to listen on to this episode. So... What are we talking about today, Scholar well, McLaren? We were looking at a very uh, a topic that uh, a number of people ask questions or, or raise eyebrows. This is violence in the Old Testament, uh, specifically if human violence is sanctioned uh, by God, right? So, it does mm-hmm. does the Bible give warrant to to violent behavior, genocidal mm-hmm. behavior, that's right, uh, yeah. and, and so on? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's kind of what we're going to delve into. We're also going to speak a little bit about. How do we interpret the Bible mm-hmm. and uh, the ways we can read Scripture mm-hmm. and uh, kind of get into the nitty gritty? So uh, this is a topic that you're uh, up for. That's that's where we're going to get. Yeah, into. Yeah, yeah, we're going to get into some specific. Well, we're going to focus on. It's kind of a synecdoche, I think, for violence in general, uh, but on the Canaanite conquest, as it's sometimes called, perhaps a little misleadingly, I actually think. But right. the Canaanite, you know, the the Israelites going into Canaan, where God commanded them to basically get get rid of the nations, or so it seems. Uh, and that includes the destruction, the seeming destruction of infants. So just be aware of that. Uh, if you want to throw something on that's a little bit lighter, uh, maybe listen to our discussions on Hunger Games or the Bourne movies or the Taylor Swift, because this might get a little heavier than that. But I think it's very valuable because it is. Uh, these are legitimately challenging, and they're and they're bothersome to a lot of people. Right. So yeah. I, I think people deserve uh, pat answers. I'll be frank. If you Google that question on the internet about why does God seem to sanction the Israelites killing infants. Yeah. You get some kind of dicey answers. Um, okay. One ca- uh, Catholic website I went to said, well, maybe the babies were demon-possessed. Oh, but really? Catholic, okay. Yes, that, that's Dr. Taylor Marshall for oh, you right wow. there. Okay. Um, Catholic moral theology would not sanction you doing that. Right, <laughs> you, right. You're not supposed to kill innocents even yeah. for the greater good or something. So what do we do with this? Yeah, and also, okay. are, when we come up with answers, are we just scrambling to find some kind of excuse for what's going on in the Bible? Or is the Bible actually warranting us to come to certain conclusions about what it's saying? Because mm. I also don't want to just say, oh, what's, what's one way we can make this make sense so it doesn't seem so scary? That's not the way to read the Bible. You've got to let the Bible interpret itself, and you've got to let the church, which, it, you know, the Bible is the church's book, look at that tradition and see how it's been received. Mm, doesn't mean yeah. every single interpretation you'll find is equally valid, but it is important to see what has the... What have the sheep heard in the voice of their shepherd? I guess, right, right. When yeah. you come to this, yeah. so. and I, I might go even further and say uh, another principle is to look at how the, the dialectic, so the, the the relationship between Christ and Scripture, mm-hmm. because uh, Christ sets up this dynamic, this permanent dialectic between Himself and Scripture. Uh, we mm-hmm. see that in, in Luke's Gospel and how it can be read. So it's always read in light. Mm-hmm. Of the uh, the eternal logos, the, mm-hmm. yeah. So for this for this particular episode, and I think we'll do future episodes on other topics. We'll we'll kind of hone in on that the Canaanite conquest. We're not talking specifically about uh, maybe God using violence against people. Kind of theodicy questions. We're going to talk about um, this this case of the uh, after the Exodus, after the forty year wandering, entering into Canaan, and I and we'll talk a little bit. I think this is another topic for another sure. episode too, yeah. but we'll talk about the imprecatory psalms, which are the Ooh, psalms yeah. where the psalmist is saying, God, why don't you uh, rain down destruction upon my enemies? Right. That, that warrants its own discussion, but there are uh, examples of uh, calling down destruction on the other nations, and I think you can see that as being a subset of the Canaanite conquest. 
you know, especially something like Psalm 137, calling for God's punishment yes. on Babylon. So yeah, yeah. geographically later, but similar in spirit. So I right. will, this was your advice, and I think it was wise counsel. So mm, I will lay okay. out right now what, basically, I will I'll give away the ending here. I'll give away what I think are the answers. We're only going to talk about two of them in detail today. Okay. But we've discussed before how there are four senses of Scripture. Right. There's the literal sense, okay. which doesn't mean every single thing is literally historically what happened, but what, what is its immediate historical meaning? And then there are three spiritual senses. The okay. allegorical sense, which is usually a metaphor about Jesus Christ. There's a moral sense, like what yeah. is this morally advising us to do? Okay. And the anagogical sense. What does this tell us about our journey through history as we go towards that final day and towards heaven? Now, when it comes to the Canaanite conquest, there's a literal historical meaning. Uh, I think that, you know, these things did literally historically happen, or, or at least the entry into Canaan happened. We'll talk about what was really going on there. It's worth noting, I did look into this. Yep. Even Origen had homilies on Joshua. He does not think it was all an allegory. Okay. He has allegorical readings, but he does yeah. think that the entry into Canaan and the wars, he does seem to think those literally happened. Okay. So we'll talk about the, what was going yeah. on. Was so it, just to remind our readers, Origen is who again? That's oh the, my goodness. He's the, he's the first, he's the beginning of yeah. the allegorical interpretation. You could call him the origin of the <laughs> allegorical. That's right. That's right. Uh, he's an Alexandrian theologian who's known for... His allegorical readings of the Old Testament, tending yep. to say, uh, you know, maybe this is actually a symbol. It's not necessarily something that literally happened. Yeah. Uh, whether he followed that in his own life is an interesting question. Yeah. So he's he's massively influential on, let's say, Ambrose, Saint yep. Ambrose, the Alexandrian school. Uh, yep. Athanasius, mm -hmm. Saint Augustine, as opposed to the Antiochians. So that would be like Saint John Chrysostom. Mm -hmm. They they come from a different school of interpretation. Yeah. The origin is foundational folk yeah uh, who, who tend to focus more on it being literal and historical but even origin who is willing to say yes these do describe historical events yeah. so bear okay. that in mind we're not, we're not, I, I don't think we can just say this is all just an, a fairy tale no it's describing an event that actually happened but what was going on we'll, we'll get into okay then there's the three spiritual senses there's an allegorical interpretation which is that when Israel goes into Canaan and wipes out the nations that's an allegory for what Jesus does to Satan and the devils. Right. Uh, there's certainly New Testament warrant for this. Yeah. Uh, but for more on that, listen to our first four podcast episodes, actually, sure. where yeah. we talk about yeah. the angels. Okay. Uh, anagogically, yep. it's sort of about the church going through history, right? This is kind of like our wilderness. We're entering into the promised land. And, and the church has to do evil, uh, do war against social evils, right? Yeah. Against the, I mean, the, the, the epistles of John are always talking about this. Resist the world, right? Be not of the oh, world. Be not, right. you know, worldly in some ways. Yep. So, we, you know, we, we want to root out social injustice and oppression uh, wherever we can find it to the best of our abilities and pray against that, right? Yeah. Which may in some cases actually involve praying against particular people. Like maybe we want to pray against uh, dictators, right, or oppressive right. corporations yes. or something, right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for the destruction of those systems, right? Yeah. And then finally there's the moral meaning, which is about we have to root out utterly evil in ourselves, destroy it utterly, right. uh, wipe out every trace of it in yeah. our own hearts. Yeah. Today I want to talk about the literal historical meaning, because I think that that is a, a justified question. <laughs> how, how could God have told human beings to kill other human beings? Yeah, yeah. And, and the moral meaning, uh, because I think that's one that's, uh, I think there's a very interesting uh, theme in the New Testament that I'd love to flesh out. So that's what we'll talk about today. But before okay. we go ahead, did you have any thoughts or anything you want to uh, add? Well, it might be helpful to add, uh, I mean, so Christians are obviously going to interpret uh, in light of Christ. Uh, how, how might um, rabbinic uh, uh, interpreters uh, in the Jewish tradition, uh, how might they read 
uh, this as well. I mean, I think we can maybe mention that as we go. Sure, uh, sure. Some of those impulses. We'll keep that as well. in mind, yeah, yeah. because they, they do have that situation, especially post-exilic. You know, where, where Israel has sort of lost any political power, you know, what does it mean in that context to, you know, go out and do war with the nations and root them out? Well, and, but also in terms of living out the Torah, right? Yeah. So living out the Torah and um, having a well, part of that is a kosher diet, mm-hmm. uh, observing the Sabbath, uh, mm-hmm. male circumcision, uh, and your ethical living. So, so how does that fit into... Mm-hmm. An allegorical interpretation. Sure, sure. Uh, well, or a moral or an Sure, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, well, and already in the historical text, we see there's something very liturgical about the entry into Canaan. Ah, right. right. Uh, I, well, first of all, let's start with an example of a passage. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote a passage right away. So have it in the back of your mind. Yeah, okay, but did, so you can talk about the liturgical. I, I, I am yes. I, oh, okay, I do okay, want. Right, I do want it, but right, I think this, this let's let's make sure everyone's on the same okay. page here, so to speak. So Deuteronomy right. chapter seven says, when the Lord, your, this is, of course, Deuteronomy, right? It's, it's the end of the uh, 40 years of wandering in the desert. Okay. Right? They're about to enter Canaan. Yeah. And when the Lord, your God, brings you into the land that you are about to enter and occupy, and he clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. I, I've said all these names because I want you to remember them, or at least have them in your memory. Seven nations mightier and more numerous than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must utterly destroy them. Make no covenant with them and show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For that would turn away your children from following me to serve other gods. And the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. So that's the preface to this. When you go in there, destroy them utterly and don't intermarry with them. Okay, that sounds genocidal. And, and to be clear, yeah, wow, first, yeah. first Samuel 15, uh, where Saul is commanded to deal with Amalek, the Amalekites, it specifically says, um, and again, this is you know, after they've settled in the land to some extent, but God does tell Saul, uh, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did in opposing the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So this is the same situation. Because Amalek did not support Israel, they're going to be punished now. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So, sounds terrible. Sounds brutal, right? Sounds yeah. like ethnic cleansing, right. actually. Yeah, yeah. And those are probably some of the verses that get uh, thrown around, I'm guessing, uh, when it comes to these types of discussions. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Well, this is the kind of verse that would be used by the Marcionites, I think. Right. The Marcionites oh, who would have said, the Ooh. Old Testament God is different than the New Testament God. Right. Um, they're yeah. a kind of subset of Gnosticism. Is that fair to say? Oh, that? absolutely. Yeah, no, they are Gnostics. Marcionic. Yeah, so they, well, they're from their second century or third century, um, who, um, yeah, they, they basically said, we're only going to use the New Testament. Let's axe the, uh, the mm-hmm. Old Testament. It comes from an evil god. All right, let's root it out yeah. entirely and destroy it. Let's exactly, say. yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, because, and, and so let's be fair here, and this is, this is where I want to qualify it, um, some people say we have to start with Jesus. That's absolutely true, but you need to understand what that means because the Marcionites would say, well, if you look at Jesus Christ and the ethic that he taught, it's totally incompatible with the Old Testament God. Look at how, you know, this is not turning the other cheek. This is going in and getting revenge and killing people indiscriminately. How can the same yeah. God of Jesus Christ be the God of the Old Testament? They must be two different gods. Yeah. Uh, the Old Testament God is, I guess, would he be the demiurge who created the world? Or is that, yeah, is that kind of the, yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's, that's a Gnostic view. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the, so they're kind of dualistic. There's... Yeah, so because the world, because the yeah. Yeah, creation itself seems equally yeah. uh, heartless, let's say sometimes. Yeah. So, but but it seems like 
an easier way out, does it not, to, to adopt this Gnostic view? Uh, doesn't it seem easier to say, you know, there's an evil God who must have done all this. Uh, we've got the good God, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we're just going to stick to our 27 books of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so shouldn't maybe we balderize the Bible a little bit? Like maybe mm-hmm. we could just uh, excise these verses out, or maybe we should even just dig our heads in mm-hmm. the sand and just never think about them? It's, I don't know. What, what do you think? Uh, that Yeah. That sounds good. Oh, it's been it's been fun, everybody. Have, have a <laughs> okay. good day. We'll, we'll roll that. The, well, the, right. the, one of the problems with that is, uh, and again, as we were, I think, discussing off camera, you know, you yeah. can go, you can work backwards or you can work forwards, right? Yeah. Let's start. If you even, let's say, if you start with Jesus, in a sense, Jesus doesn't start with Jesus, in that he is soaked in the Old Testament. That's what he's brought up in when he's combating the devil in yeah. the wilderness. He quotes from Deuteronomy right. three times. He quotes from Deuteronomy. Okay. So he, he doesn't say, you know, man shall not live uh, by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God, well, except for those words. <laughs> right? Right, right. So the, our Lord doesn't do that. Our Lord doesn't reject. He sees himself as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. But right. he doesn't say, oh, you know, that's, he, he identifies himself as being, well, ultimately as being the God of the Old Testament. Yes. So I, that's, that's not going to quite fly. That's, that's commanded to us, actually, in the New Testament and by Jesus himself for us to study this so no no what we have to do is uh like like jacob and the angel we got to wrestle with it we got to wrestle with it yeah yeah I mean, but also i'm thinking of uh, jesus first sermon right mm-hmm. when, when he gets up unrolls a scroll mm-hmm. in isaiah uh, i mean he quotes part of it but he doesn't quote all of it mm-hmm. uh when, when it comes to 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 judgment and, mm-hmm. and and so on so i suppose there's um there's certainly fulfillment but it's also a metanoia uh, a term yeah. our students might know well uh, but that means a changing of mind a changing of mind a revolution of how we think mm-hmm. so it, typically we would think of what's good is if we have a really strong government and uh, our nation is on top of the other nations mm-hmm. and so on mm-hmm. So, for instance, let's get rid of the Romans uh, and inaugurate the yes. kingdom of Israel and that that's just a common assumption amongst all the people because they've been reading the Old Testament as well and they have a certain way they've interpreted it uh, in this in this sense. Mm-hmm. So whereas Jesus revolutionizes, well, no, we have to see this in light of mm-hmm. the kingdom of God, which is not of this world, mm-hmm. uh, but but upsets and reorients, reorders. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, but what's interesting mis- is yeah. that Jesus chastises people for not seeing this in the Bible already. Right? He, uh, right. right? He, he'll yes. say, like, what, you know, don't you know the scriptures? I'm clearly just saying what the scriptures are saying. Yeah, yeah. So, and here's, here's an example of where I think yeah. what he's talking about. So, Joshua, we're not going to go through the whole book of Joshua, but, okay. uh, or do an exegesis of that. But let's, if you look at how it kicks off, right? Um, well, okay, actually, first of all, first of all, before we even get to that, yep. let's look at this question of, is it really the case that Israel is just barging into Canaan and attacking these innocent indigenous people let's say right. and slaughtering them and taking taking their land uh well i first of all on a meta historical level there's an interesting question about were these actually the natives of the land because this was kind of part of the egyptian empire right, right. um so there's some people have sort of said well actually really what's going on is that israel is like a small nation going up against an empire it's almost a continuation of exodus right okay and fighting against because they always go up against walled cities 
right? right. Not against kind of yeah. the, uh, <laughs> the, yeah. the local villagers, right? They, they seem to go up against these imperial outposts and take them down. So okay. you could almost see it as an anti-imperial theme, which is interesting, but I'll, I'll set that to the side okay. for now. Sure. What we see, though, is in Numbers, chapter 20, first they come into the land and they ask, um, they ask Edom, uh, the descendants of Esau, if they can have safe passage. Edom says no. Numbers 21, they do the same thing with Ered. Ered hears that they're coming, and it's like, oh, we don't want these guys. So they attack Israel first. Okay. <laughs> Israel really. fights back yeah. and is successful. Uh, and then they send a message to the Amorites through Sihon, uh, King yeah. Sihon, and say, we're going to come through. Would you please let us through? Sihon's like, no. He attacks them, so they defeat him. And, yeah. and then that kind of cascades from there. Then once there's that antagonism, then, then it comes uh, Og, King of Bashan, Sihon right. and Og. They come up a lot in the Bible. Yes. Yeah. I, I, because I think they're supposed to be sort of a, a type of everything that comes afterwards. Right. They asked first, they, yeah. they asked politely, instead they were attacked, so then they fought back. And then immediately okay. Canaan, most yeah. of Canaan, not all of it, because the Gibeonites do make the pact with them, actually, right? Okay. In uh, chapter 19, I want to say, of, is it Joshua or Judges? Okay. So the Gibeonites yeah. do make an alliance with them. But from that point on, it's actually the Canaanites who are attacking them. So I think you can okay. actually see this as a kind of defensive war okay. on the part of the Israelites. So let's okay. point that out. Sure. Now, having done that, their okay. next enemy is jericho famously uh, jericho right, right yes now joshua uh you know chapter two this kicks off they send the spies in and of course we we don't have to go through the whole story wonderful though it is yep but it's rahab it's the, the harlot or you know let's say housekeeper in some rendition sure. but it, at, at the very least a disreputable canaanite who's immediately granted protection yeah she fears the lord yep. fears yahweh yep. uh, and is willing and, and supports the spies yeah. Oh, and and uh, as led by uh, Joshua, right, right. The, the hero, yeah. and she's spared. Her and her family are spared. Yeah. Right, she ties the scarlet thread, which is yeah. a very significant image yeah. of itself. And who who isn't spared though? Well, as we as we find out after Jericho falls, yeah. uh, they go on to uh, I AI. They, they, okay. go up, they go up against yeah. AI, yeah. Uh, just like Dr. McClarney will soon when a future podcast when we take we'll take on the topic of artificial intelligence. Yeah. And for some reason they fail in that battle, yeah. and it's revealed it's because there's a Hebrew named Achan who has broken yeah. the rule. He's kept some stuff for himself, yeah. and he's wiped out. Him and his family are wiped yeah. out. So and, immediately what we see is it's a Canaanite who's spared and a Hebrew who's executed. Yeah. And why is okay? Why is that significant then? If if we're seeing some Canaanites, you know, in their nobility and. and uh, being raised up and other well, Israelites who, who are brought well, low. Well, yeah. what it indicates is that what's going on here is not ethnic cleansing. That's not what the okay. Bible's interested in. Right. It's establishing the reign of God, of the Lord, which is filled out, carried out in worship. Rahab obeys the Lord and worships the Lord, and she is spared. She's joined to Israel, whereas Achan, the Hebrew, does not obey the Lord, and he is therefore cut off. He's treated as a Canaanite, okay. essentially. Which is why, if you look at the first few chapters, the first, let's say, six chapters, uh, chapter six is where, you know, the, uh, the, they start marching around Jericho. Yeah. The preparation for war is not military training. Right, it's liturgical. It's right? meditation on yes. the Torah. It's, yes. um, it's cleansing. Yep. So, right, so first, chapter three, Israel crosses the Jordan. You know, that's them. First of all, there's that recreation of, of creation, right? Yes. Like yep. order comes out of the water. It's a, 
another example it's like the, the red sea yeah, well the yeah, exodus they, being they repeated, walk right? across they walk Jordan through right and it splits open on, on, on dry land and yeah. that's and that's like a procession it'd be like uh corpus christi is coming up that's right it'd yeah. be like if the, the corpus christi procession right were to go through and the the uh, fort saskatchewan river were to like part from yes. them so they could get to yes. the other side of edmonton yes yeah right? yeah, yeah. Uh, then uh in chapter four they set up 12 stones as a yes. commemoration of this yeah. chapter five it's like okay well none of this has been military exercises yeah. yet yeah. when are we going to get to oh, that uh, but did we mention though the passover as well uh well that happens actually after so chapter five has um they get they get uh there and then the lord says in chapter two make flint knives it's like okay great we're yeah. finally at the okay. point where we're gonna battle yeah. and circumcise the israelites a second time <laughs> right, oh wait right. so these are these knives aren't for battle or for combat they're yeah. for circumcision which is right. as we know from the book of genesis is a terrible thing if you're about to be in conflict because yes. when people are circumcised they have to lie around recovering like you're, yes you're yeah. very vulnerable at that point yeah. people can swoop in and yeah. then after that uh chapter 10 it's like while the israelites were camped they kept the passover yeah and and that ties back into the original passover because they have to get the lamb or the goat on the 10th of nisan uh because it's implied in the text in exodus 12 that anyone who's partaking of the Passover, or the males, have to be circumcised. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they celebrate on the 14th of Nisan. They have the time for recovery because we're right, yeah, yeah. three mm-hmm. days for recovery. Mm-hmm. So you can see that uh, that liturgical act uh, is, is an interesting hermeneutic or lens on which to read this. Uh, and, and, and you think of the, even the word liturgy, right? Uh, it just means public work mm-hmm. uh right uh and so mm-hmm. this yeah, yeah. this is the the work in which they are doing it's oriented towards their relationship with with the lord and 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 living this out mm-hmm. and yeah. i think this will be important uh say later on when we look at say the cleansing of the temple and so on yes, but anyway, for sure. yeah, well, yeah. we can so right exactly yeah yeah and that's all so given that right the fact that this is like a this is like a passover thing it's like an exodus thing it's a liturgical thing it's yeah. a three days of recovery like well, and this goes to the point of what's what's actually going on when they put the term that's used in different translations is that they put the Canaanites under the ban, and the Hebrew is okay. the harem, right? Yeah. Which can also mean dedicated to the Lord. It's a term that can even be used for uh, sacrifices, like you dedicate your animals right. to the Lord. Yeah. Right. So there's that it's a sacrificial image. So the whole land is supposed to be consecrated to God. Uh, in fact, even the word it's used in I think Numbers thirty-two is that the land will be subdued. Oh, that yeah. sounds terrible, right? Well, it's a term that comes from Genesis one twenty-eight, oh, right? right? Yeah. Uh, when Adam and Eve are commanded to subdue the earth, subdue, which yeah. doesn't mean you know they're going to plow it over with their bulldozers. It means they're going to turn it all into Eden, right? Right? Like it's a continuation of God's creative work that we've already seen yeah. and His priestly ministry, like, right? right? Exactly, yeah. because the temple is itself uh, like a new creation, right? Yes. It's like a Garden of Eden. Yeah. So that's the that's the goal here. It's not ethnic cleansing. It's not political supremacy. It's, this is all has to be consecrated to God. And God does not care that much about ethnicity. What matters is, are you on board with that or not? Yeah. So the Canaanites were an evil people. And in fact, God actually tells Abraham, specifically, you're going to have to wait 400 years because that's the point at which people will get evil enough that their sins will have heaped up enough that they'll be ready to be punished. But the point is not, then we're going to get rid of this entire race of people. The point is, then the land can be consecrated back to God. And that does mean violence. It does mean there's going to have to be punishment. Those who are evil and obstinate and opposed to God do have to be punished with violence but it's not because they're canaanites it's because they're god's enemies and that means they're god's enemies Achan is ultimately the the real canaanite here and rahab is the true hebrew Hmm. regardless of their ethnicity right okay so that's it's not a genocidal thing in the sense that we think of 
right? It's a thorough rooting out of, so this is why I think it's valuable before you get to the moral meaning, <laughs> to right. sort of see what's yeah. going on in this liturgical. So you can sort of see how the rabbis have a warrant for seeing this as being um, maybe somewhat allegorical about Torah observance yeah. and Torah right. meditation yes. yeah. and so forth. So, okay, so that's, that's the meaning of it. That's what's going on. Now, that's still, that you could say, well, that's great, Mr. Fawcett, but if that's the case, why are they killing infants? Right. Oh, okay. Uh, why that language about rooting out even, even the innocent? Right. Yeah. Um, although, and oh, and I should I should point out that before I forget about this, that there's even other examples of this. I mean, we, I, Rahab's just a synecdoche, right? Because who is uh, Joshua's right hand man? Well, yeah. Oh, it's, Caleb. It's Caleb. Caleb, yeah. the parasite. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, and then later on, another example of it's funny because Matthew one. You know, sort of alludes to these different figures, right? Yeah, in Jesus' yeah. genealogy, right? Yeah. Um, there's a there's a suggestion of Rahab, right? There's yeah, also oh, yeah. um, there's a, also Bathsheba, yes. who who uh, David steals yeah. from uh, his righteous warrior Uriah oh, the Hittite. The Hittite yeah. So the the Perizzites and the Hittites are both these nations who are supposed to be completely eradicated, and yet we have Caleb being the the uh, companion to Joshua in in this conquest of Canaan, right. and yes. then you have Uriah also being part of the, the political success of Israel, yeah. and actually, again, being um, more of a Hebrew than David is. Right, right. And, and a hero as well, right? Right, yeah. yeah, a great military hero, like one of the one of these, yeah. I mean, who's he's only able to be killed because he's so brave. Right, right? yeah. David turns that against him. So, so, And there's other examples of this as well, right, in scripture of... Uh, and uh, of these examples of Canaanites, ethnic Canaanites, who are ultimately heroic, which suggests as well, and I'll say this again before I get to the specific question about um, the slaughter of innocence, apparent innocence. Oh, right. um, this goes back to the imprecatory psalms. So oh, yeah. Let's, now, let's, what, are, what are imprecatory psalms? Well, uh, as, uh, they're the psalms of cursing. Yeah. Right. And again, this, this will require a whole episode because Dr. McClarney so happens to be a scholar in this. He's actually written a book on the Psalms. So that deserves its own topic. Okay. I, I'm just going to focus on the Psalms about, like, wipe out the enemies of Israel, Lord. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's yeah. an example of I mean, of, some of our readers are probably, our listeners are probably familiar with, with the Psalms a little bit. Uh, there's different genres, so like Psalms of Thanksgiving, mm. praise, uh, lament, Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, psalms of wisdom, uh, but then there's also some that involve. I wish my enemies would roll over and die, yes. essentially, um, or so, get their teeth broken. Or right, pretty right. creative. Some of the yes, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and so, what do we do with those? Because those are real human emotions mm-hmm. that we probably go through at some point in time. Mm-hmm. I would imagine. So, uh, how do we deal with this? Okay, so so uh, I, I think again, that's going to require. In fact, I think we're we're getting some oh, hints in this oh, discussion. Okay. Yeah, but that that I would love to do a future episode. Okay, so on maybe that. we will more, we'll more come back to with you. But sure. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll take one specifically. Oh, okay. Psalm eighty-three, prayer for judgment on Israel's foes. Right, Psalm of Asaph. Um, and this, you know, it, it starts with a retinue of all the bad stuff that the enemies of Israel are doing. Verse 4, they say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. Then he gives a retinue of them. A kind of table of nations. If right, you will. right, sure. Um, they conspire with one accord against you. They make a covenant. The tents of Eden and the Ishmaelites. Uh, the tents of Edom, I'm sorry, and the Ishmaelites. We've seen them. Moad and the Hagrites. Gebel and Ammon and Amalek. Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre. Assyria. Uh, they are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Do to them as you did to Midian and to Syria and Jabin. All right, so then there's examples from from salvation history. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zips. Okay, all right. 
This seems straightforward enough. Here's a bunch of nations who we know we're supposed to wipe out. They're enemies yeah. of God. God, please wipe them out before they, <laughs> before they get to it first, basically. Yeah. Lord, make them like the whirling dust as chaff before the wind. Now, why am I mentioning all this? Because there's a really interesting verse, right? As fire consumes the forest, so pursue them with your tempest. Terrify them with your hurricane. And then verse 16. Fill their faces with shame so that they may seek your name, O Lord. Oh, that's very interesting. Okay. This is not purely punitive. Okay. This is not, they've been really bad, Lord, so wipe them out. Now, I think there's an element of punishment there, but look at this. Fill their faces with shame so that they may seek your name. There's something rehabilitory about ah, this. So it's not just like a laser beam solution. We just zap them and uh, they disintegrate into vapor and never think about them again. Not just that, that which yeah. doesn't seem to have worked, as we'll see. But yeah. it's actually like do this for not just for our sake and for the sake of your glory, but for their sake, Lord. Okay. Um, in, fact, in fact, there's this interesting, the way that concludes the next two verses. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace. Let them know that you alone, whose name are the Lord, are most high over all the earth. Yeah. So this is duality. On the one hand, yes, Lord, as the nations, as the Gentiles, as your enemies, yeah. let them perish. But then, it's like, let them perish and also let them know who you are. Yeah. It's like yeah. There's, there's a duality. Well, like he's here, a dialect here, you could say, this, right? Yes, and this reminds me a little bit of, of Jonah. Uh, so when he goes mm-hmm. to Nineveh, because mm-hmm. Nineveh is... You know, it's a Syrian uh, city uh, at one time. It, some of the worst atrocities mm-hmm. um, ever. Like, we, we not just in the Bible, but other sources tell us this, mm-hmm. things that, that they've done. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, uh, mm-hmm. Israel being one of the, uh, uh, their, um, the people that they've attacked. Mm-hmm. So Jonah is pouting at the <laughs> yes, end. Yeah, He's yeah. very upset that God didn't just bowl this city over and raise it uh, uh, to the ground uh, because for Jonah, as far as he's concerned, um, the, they're, they're enemy number one, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, and you can go down through history and think of different nations who are adversaries with others and, and, and so on. But um, for him, yeah, this this is um, mm-hmm. done a, a case closed. Like, mm-hmm. of course, God's going to. And the book of Obadiah kind of suggests that that's where they're headed ultimately, right? That, that, yeah. That's a little a whole book about like uh, that nation getting yeah. entirely erased, basically, by God. But, yeah. So why doesn't it happen here? And perhaps what we what we can maybe see is that it can happen as as the Gentiles, as Philistia, right, as Moab, they will end. But what yeah. that really means is they'll become Israel. Right. They'll become the people of God. Yes. Right. So they'll perish in that sense, but they'll live on in, a, in another better sense. And, and in fact, I mean, jumping ahead a little bit to Christian history, you have three major branches of the church. You're probably familiar with mm. the Latin and Greek, but then there's another branch, the Syrian. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, another. Well, or even like the Coptic, right? I mean, you have Egyptians yeah. honoring Moses, right, as yes. a kind of saint, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's all been fulfilled there as well, certainly. Now, Okay, again, the one that as a as a you know you've got a baby on the way. I've That's got right. A new baby, yeah. right? What do we do with the fact that and in speaking out of the Psalms, Psalm one hundred thirty-seven, yes. right? Babylon, you know, the denunciation of Babylon, and then happy is he who takes your infants and bashes their heads against the rock. Yeah, right. Like it sounds like something Lady Macbeth would say. Yes, uh, actually, right? yes, uh, that she would gladly have. Right, exactly. That's a sign of her own because, yeah. of course, she's. Um, She's probably um, lost a child. 
Right. right. Yes. Because, because because she still recently because she still has her breast milk. Right. right. Um, right. Anyway, yeah. But anyway, I mean that's a, so and, yes. Are we all Lady Macbeths essentially? Right. Getting revenge. Yeah. We, we've lost our children, so God take their kids too. Yes. In fact, let us take their kids. Yeah. And beat them savagely. Yeah. And I think well, Origin is very helpful here uh, in this regard uh, for for this particular psalm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he helps us. I think you wanted to talk about Gregory, but. Uh, right for another in another context. oh in another context yeah yeah. yeah yeah I think Jerome does this too yeah that's interpretation but bef- there's an allegorical interpretation but I want to justify before we get to oh, what it is okay. I want to justify because that can sound when you hear oh well, well what it's really saying is this it sounds okay well you're just trying to get away from the meaning of this text okay right clearly like God commanded the death of um, of infants at times how can you possibly sanction this and I'm going to strongly suggest to you that this is. The Bible itself gives us clues that this is not meant to be taken literally. Okay. We know that there's exaggerations used in Scripture sometimes, or, or not precise uh, language it's used sure, sometimes. Sure, And I think that's what's going on here. So let's just, for example, 1 Samuel 15. Go to the Amalekites, wipe them out completely, kill even their infants. Okay. And then Saul does that except for King Agag. Right, and yeah. then God tells him, you were supposed to kill King Agag, so you're not going to be the king anymore, I'm giving it to David. Fifteen chapters later, in 1 Samuel 30, yeah. David is at war with the Amalekites. Okay, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. How is this possible if they've all been wiped out? Right. Now, in fact, if King Agag has been completely wiped out, yeah. how does he have a descendant a few <laughs> later on in the form of Haman? Because Haman right. is an, is an Agagite yes. uh, when he's, uh, you know, dealing with the, uh, in the Persian situation yes. there, right? right? So that's... A, I, this is where people will say, well, the Bible's compiled by editors and there's different, you know, authors going on and that's why they seem to contradict. Yeah. Even if that's true, the editor didn't see a problem yeah. putting these next to each other. It's, like That's a harder argument to make, too, if it's 15 la- chapters later in the same book. Well, yeah. exactly, right? Like, so, yeah. Scripture itself seems to be indicating, okay, you know, early, like, it's giving us a clue that this is not meant to be taken as an actual, literal, complete genocide. Right. And so is De- Deuteronomy 7, yeah. right? It says, kill, destroy the people utterly and don't intermarry with them. Well, if you've killed all of them, <laughs> yeah. who's there to intermarry with? Right. Right. Yeah. Like, so I think scripture itself is giving you warrant for saying this is extreme language that's being used that's not meant to describe necessarily what literally took place in these battles. Right. Um, now, why would it use this kind of extreme language? That's where I think we have warrant for saying, okay, there's something allegorical going on. Right. And, yeah. and I would suggest Gregory of Nyssa, I cite, because in his Life of Moses, he argues that the tenth plague, where the firstborn child is killed, yep. couldn't have been literally what happened because God would not punish innocent babies for the sins of their right. fathers because of what Ezekiel says. So he says the Bible itself tells us that we have to interpret this symbolically. And if yeah. that's true of the plague where you know God is doing it, and I think yeah. God does have the right to take the lives of infants, um, sur- surely that must be true in cases where it seems like human beings are told to kill infants. That that can't be true based on theology and on what scripture itself says elsewhere right. so okay. i think that there's an extreme language used about killing even babies but that's not i i will stand by this i don't think that the israelites ever were told by god to actually kill infants that's right. my contention okay. and yeah. i think we have reasons from the bible itself but if it uses that extreme language why would it use that extreme language right. what's the allegory mean yeah. well what does origin say well i mean to jump to a rabbinic tradition mm-hmm. uh they would look at this and say well yeah, this this language of, of, of violence and, and expunging and, and elimination is really uh, needs to be thought of in a liturgical context, mm-hmm. and they're not just um, 
you're on the Sabbath day, but the entire way of living uh, life. Uh, so, oh, I should have mentioned just before I forget. Sure. The other the other thing in, in uh, Jericho that suggests it's liturgical is that it takes seven days. Yeah, right. Days, They're marching yes. around for seven days, and on the seventh day, the walls fall, which is yeah, also included with, trumpets, this, uh, with, well, with trumpets, yes, exactly, which yes. suggests this is supposed to be a Sabbath kind of thing. Right? Yeah, ex- so, yes, exactly. And so um, here, listeners are probably somewhat familiar, at least in the the Pharisees, their tradition. Uh, you have 613 laws, uh, and it's an extensive rubric by which to follow and why to live out the covenant, right relationship with with the Lord. And so this necessitates uh, a strict adherence to these regulations. Whether it comes to uh, dietary law, well, I might not be able to go and uh, over to my neighbor's house for um, you know uh, poutine and, and beer, or whatnot, because it's just not kosher. Uh, and so this this is a, uh, these strict rules then become a way of uh, getting rid of the influences of paganism uh, and, and the idolatry of uh, that our hearts are so inclined to follow uh, and instead focus strictly on this mosaic law that we've been given. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when it comes to our diet, our relationship with other people, um, how we worship, when we worship, and so on, as opposed to taking on these other other gods, as uh, like King Solomon, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, intermarrying with all the other um, mm-hmm. right. the Gentiles, yeah. uh, it is a metaphor as well for his heart turning towards these other gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, the, just to lay this on a little bit thicker, it's if you're thinking, oh well, is it just because he's marrying an, an ethnic woman who's not Hebrew? No, because we've got a book called Ruth where a Moabite marries into the, right, right. the people of Israel. And she says, you know, I'm willing, your God will be my God. And she signs up for it. So the problem isn't that she's not ethnically, and of course ends up being an ancestor of Jesus. So yes. Solomon marrying foreign women, the point isn't, oh, he married someone who's not the right race. It's that he's marrying people who are still worshiping gods other than the yes. Lord. Yes, right? and, and we've alluded to as well, like the book of Jonah would be another good example. But Jesus' own genealogy, we see that there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's it's not that strict because uh, it's it's implied there in his genealogy, it's not mm-hmm. a strict uh, um, only Hebrew. It's not right? ethnic purity. Yeah, exactly. That on, right. It's a spiritual yeah. purity. Yeah. So, so that that would be one that the rabbinic way of looking. Um, I think origin provides an even further fascinating lens by looking at this, thinking not so much in terms of dietary rules mm-hmm. and and restrictions and so forth, but not giving any ground to the demons. Uh, mm-hmm. So these peccadillos, right? These right. these little, little sins. Little, sins, yes. uh, right? little baby sins. Little yeah, white lies. Yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have a garden that we're attempting to grow this mm-hmm. year. We'll see. Last year, it, well, most years, well, the jury is out. <laughs> Often, sure. if you don't tend to it, the weeds just take off. And after mm-hmm. a couple of weeks of leaving them, you're not sure, okay, do we plant something in this row or not? <laughs> it's hard to tell. So yeah, yeah. Uh, there is this continual, well, do not let evil take root uh, in your life mm-hmm. anywhere. And and again, theologically, we know, oh, okay, well, I'm a strict monotheist, so I'm not going to worship other gods. But as St. Paul and Jesus himself tells us, well, it could be your pursuit of money. That's mm-hmm. mammon. Yep. That's your idol, right? And so so here, it, Origen's pointing out, yes, don't let any foothold of evil become entrenched in you. Why? Well, because um, God is holy. Be holy as he is holy. This is your calling. This is what you've been designed to do. Uh So flourish. 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's a, a, a very great a, a biblical metaphor, whether it's uh, John 15, the vine, the true vine, abiding in the vine, or the first psalm, right? The tree which is rooted uh, mm-hmm. in, 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 uh, in the Lord will bear fruit in season and in out. And so this is the, um, yeah, the mm-hmm. way in which Psalm 137 uh, mm-hmm. uh, it would be read uh, by someone like Origen. Sure, sure. Or, yeah, or Jerome, I think, talks about it as like, the little sins, so like you know, they're little babies, and they're cute. They seem harmless. Yeah, right, like, right. But you know, babies have a tendency to grow. Well, those, <laughs> they don't stay small, they, right? and they become rooted in your life. They mm-hmm. overcrowd it, right. uh, and then soon enough, your conscience is is screaming at you, but um, mm-hmm. it can't be heard because there's so much uh, chaos mm-hmm. that that has been allowed to mm-hmm. to take place. And that's always, I mean, that's 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 where it starts, right? Like if you think, I think if you think of your own sins that you struggle with, they they usually started harmlessly enough or innocently enough, right? Yeah. Which, of course, they weren't harmless or innocent, but they maybe seem that way. Oh well, I'll lie just once, or you know what I mean? Just yeah. you know, it'll make everyone happier if I do this. It's a cute yeah. little baby peccadillo, but it's grown up into something yeah. that's taken you over, which and, is why you've got to bash it against the rock that is Christ. Right, exactly. Radically, yeah, right? Yeah. And get rid of it. Root it right out. I, yeah, and... I mean, think Which I was, is also what um, uh, Gregor Nyssa says about um, what he says is going on with the parable of the firstborn, right? You've got to take, you know, the the little sins, you know, the little Egyptians, right? Yeah. And, and unfortunately, yeah, you've got to get rid of them completely. Otherwise, they will grow up and it'll, yeah. it'll still be in Egypt. Or you'll be, right? in, you'll be in slavery. You'll be in slavery, exactly. to sin, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and so, the, again, going back to uh, a gardening analogy, this is actually in a garden, but on our lawn, mm-hmm. uh, you have a number of poplar trees. Uh, so there's cottonwood, which they don't... Um, drop seedlings or whatever they, they shoot up from the ground okay. so they, they they have the roots which run and then shoot up and if you don't mow the lawn often enough uh you can't you can't keep them down mm-hmm. and they end up growing and when you do come along and finally try and get rid of them it's a lot more work uh mm-hmm. because they've already started you know uh, thickening mm-hmm. and they're more like wood now instead of just a, mm-hmm. a tiny shoot so yeah yeah we don't want that to to uh, fossilize mm-hmm. uh, our souls and our life uh, mm-hmm. and instead we want to become free liberated because that's the whole point of the exodus Absolutely, is yeah. not political freedom but to be free to, to worship, worship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. serve the Lord now again okay. you could say alright alright Scholar and schoolman, you've you've proved yes. that maybe there wasn't literal killing of infants, and you've proven that maybe there's a metaphorical layer to this. Yeah. But oh, that sounds like a stretch, right? Oh, it, uh. it symbolically sins. Well, where's your evidence for that? Well, yeah. I would like to kind of conclude my my presentation, I suppose, yes. by saying I think there is a basis for this, and it starts oh, in the good. Book of Romans. Okay, so okay. Romans, Romans, uh, you know, we won't again not verse by verse, but Romans sure. one indicts the Gentiles as being under sin. Yeah, yeah which, they, which, again, if you're a Jewish Christian, like, yeah, of course. Of course, yeah. Those yeah. Gentiles. Right, right. It's all, and this is the basis, by the way, for, like, natural law theory, right? Because yeah. he says, you know, the Gentiles have the law written in their hearts and, that's, and their conscience and so yeah. on. But then yeah. chapter 2, and this is very much a prophetic move, right? Let's say, yes. well, actually, you're also under sin because, in fact, it's worse for you because you have the law. Um, yeah. And, in fact, there's a very interesting passage where he says the person who lives by the law is the true Jew, right? And the person yes. who breaks it is the yeah. true Gentile, which is, I think, consistent with Rahab and Achan. Yeah. It's that yeah. theme all the way from there. But, okay, so Romans 1, Gentiles are under sin. Romans 2, Jewish people are under yes. sin too. And well, then, so, so it's still so it's still third person. So he's talking about Jew. Sorry, sorry. He's talking about Gentile, 
then Jew. All right, so it's chapter one, chapter two, and then chapter three. What pronoun are we going with? Well, that? it's us, right? Yeah. It's like we yeah. are, right? Which continues up to chapter seven, even right, where it's like wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body? Uh, yes, of death, yeah, right? yeah. Well, even well, he turns then to uh, before that uh, second person. Uh, so you, well, uh, true, yeah, yes, yeah. Actually, so, yes. so he's going to go from third person to second, and then finally in chapter seven, the first person. Right. Like, actually, yes, yeah, wretched man that I am. Okay, but in any case, so let's, then, let's, so the, uh, and, and, he, and the move he's making here is yeah. roughly like. You're under sin, which means you need salvation, which is why you need Jesus, right? Roughly, that's the that's the move he's making in the Book of Romans, right? Yeah, the law and gospel, as you know, as we say. So, um, so verse nine of chapter three: What then are we any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under the power of sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not even one, no one who seeks understanding, no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. And he goes on and says. Their throats are open graves. They are use their tongues to deceive. There's venom of vipers. Their feet are swift to uh, shed blood. The way of peace they have not known. What he's doing, he's quoting a litany of stuff from the imprecatory psalms. Yes. Right. Um, Psalm chapter 5 is, is a prayer against enemies, right? And that's, you know, deliver me from my enemies, Lord, who hate you because their throat is an open grave. Well, here Paul takes that and he's applying it to the whole world. Jews yes. and Gentiles. Yeah. Um, and he says, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Um, at verse 20, no human being will be justified, basically, by the law. Yeah. So all, as, as he says, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, okay. which means yeah. these imprecatory psalms against God's enemies apply to everybody. Yeah. The whole human race it, it, under sin, yeah. and, you know, under Adam, yeah. are who's being described in these psalms. So you can't read the psalms and be like, boy... The Hebrews sure thought that everybody else was evil. No, no, according to Paul, these psalms are about you and me. Absolutely. <laughs> and everybody yeah. under and, Adam. Yeah, and, and it's the inverse. Uh, St. Irenaeus puts it in the inverse. Um, man fully alive is the glory of God. Mm-hmm. All right, so our telos, our, when we live out as we've been designed to do, that gives glory to God. But in as much as we've fallen short... Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. Uh, it is, then we reap, reap uh, well the, the wages of sin, mm-hmm. right, which is death. So, right. so yeah, this is uh, the 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 corner of which we mm-hmm. find ourselves painted into, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. Right. So, given this, the Canaanites represent the whole human race in some sense. All, all Adam, all of old Adam is the Canaanites who are described here, who need to be destroyed and rooted out. What does that destruction and rooting out look like? Ah, well, yes. first of all, it looks like the cross. Oh, okay. Because that's where the old Adam is crucified, nailed to the cross, yes. and, and eradicated. And I, this, I, we've discussed this a little bit, and this, this would be a whole interesting yeah. um, biblical study. Okay. There are lots of times, the death of Jesus on the cross, which we know from the New Testament is the destruction of the old Adam and the old human nature, uh, right? yep. has a lot of parallels to various examples in the Old Testament of God's enemies being destroyed. Ooh, we, we know about parallels yeah. of Jesus, too, the heroes. Like, you know, Samson has his arms stretched out. Or yep. Moses has his arms lifted up, you know, and that's sort of like the cross. There's, we know about those examples. But I find there's also a lot of analogies to the bad guys in the Old Testament ah. in the way Jesus dies. Okay, so let's, can we run through some oh, we'll of these? We'll run through some Okay, really yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, uh, we're, we're used to uh, our Sunday school uh, answer, it's Jesus, right? When it comes to uh, looking at figures in the Old Testament, whether it's right, Joshua right, right. or David against Goliath. Right, exactly, uh, yes. Moses, uh, you know, the new Moses and so on. But we don't often think of Christ um, in, in light of 
well, the bad guys, mm-hmm. like are Israel's enemies or David's opponents, sure, uh, and, and yeah. so on. So, huh? How do we? Uh, how can well, we make sense of this? Well, uh, first, let's prove that we're not making this up. So, oh, Joshua okay. ten, which is the famous <laughs> yes. one about Joshua tells the sun to stand yeah, still. Right. Is it worth? So, there's five kings who are defeated, and uh, you know, it starts in verse sixteen. The five evil kings of the Canaanites having realized that they've been defeated by Joshua. And again, Joshua's name literally is Jesus, right? It's spelled the exact same in Greek. Mm -hmm. Just English translators translate it as Joshua or Jesus, but it's spelled the exact same. Exactly. And in Hebrews, there's even verses that we're not sure if they're talking about Joshua or Jesus, right? But the five kings fled and hid themselves in a cave. It was told to Joshua that they'd been found hiding in a cave. Joshua says, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. So ah. that's there's some oh, parallels okay. we're seeing right away here. All right. So they've got guards at this cave. Guards which at this cave where people are hiding and there's it. stones okay. rolled in. So then eventually, verse 22, Joshua says, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. So he does so. And he uh, they're executed after having their necks uh, are stood upon, which kind of sounds yeah. like the heel of the serpent. Heel oh, grinding the serpent. Genesis 3, right? yeah, 18, yeah. Uh, and then uh, verse 26, Joshua struck them and put them to death and hung them on five trees. And they hung on the trees oh. until evening. At sunset, Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves. They set large stones against the mouth of the cave, which remain there to this very day. Sounds oh, to me okay. like the one who's close to Jesus in this are the Canaanite kings, or the right. bad guys of the parallel. Yeah. Hanging on trees, and their bodies are thrown into these caves, and rocks yeah. are put in the mouth of the cave right. where there have been guards. Yeah. Very interesting, right? Um, also, uh, in the, uh, I believe it's Second Samuel, there's this whole story of Absalom, which is a great, oh, lengthy yeah. yes. soap opera of a yes. story. But it ends with, so this fall, the son of David, yep. who's, who's an evil figure, but he's the son yeah. of David. He's li- literally the, literal, the son of yeah, David. The literal offspring yeah. of David, yeah. uh, who, you know, is kind of an antichrist figure, I guess you could say. Yeah. But he, his life ends with, he's riding a mule and his hair gets caught in the branches of a yeah. tree. So antichrist by being like anti-messianic. Anti- like, yeah, in, right. in, in a technical anti- sense, too. Well, right? and, and Anti-anointed. And to be the king false. Yeah, yeah. So the false is pseudo-Christ. Yeah, right. Pseudo, yeah, exactly. A pseudo-anointed yeah. king. Yeah. He comes to an end by yeah. riding a mule, right? Uh, oh. Getting getting his head a right, mule, a mule, very okay. right, very significant, right? A, a supposed king riding upon a mule, right? Uh, and then he gets his hair caught in the branches of a tree, and he's left hanging in the tree. Uh-huh. And, and how uh, does he die then? He's so he's left suspended between heaven and earth. Yes, that's right? right. So he's lifted up from the earth. Uh, he's suspended there, and what happens? Well, a, a soldier who's loyal to his father comes and stabs him in the side with a javelin. Ah, and that's what brings okay. him to an end. Okay. There's that. And then, as discussed in a podcast, which you may or may not have heard by now, I don't know yeah. what order those will be uploaded, okay. but um, in the new Zeptuagint, um, Haman, oh, uh, yeah. going back to Haman, yeah. the Agagite, yes. uh, very interestingly is, uh, well, first of all, e- even in the Hebrew, he's hanged on a gallows, which was meant for somebody else. Okay. Which is prepared for Mordecai. So, so okay, it's, yeah, all right, prepared is, for... So, yeah, he, died, he dies on the instrument which is meant for somebody else to okay. die upon. But in the Greek, that's explicitly a staros. Right? Yes, yeah. Uh, well, it's, it, there's different words that are used. One of them is like a pole, I think. Yeah, yeah but, but the, 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 the... The verb that's used is that he's crucified. That's right, yeah, in the Septuagint, yeah. So, Haman is crucified on the on the pole that was intended for somebody else to hang upon. Right. So how come all of these awful villainous figures are the ones who are being paralleled to Jesus Christ? Oh, uh, yeah. I would suggest at least one reason for this. Uh, maybe one is that we can hope to see even 
the face of Christ even in evil people in some sense. But I think yeah. in another sense, it's, okay, what's going on in all these cases are the enemies of God are being destroyed. And they're being destroyed in a fashion that involves hanging on a tree or, you know, and being, being buried in this cave. Yeah. Well, that's because that's what's happening in the Christ, in the Paschal event. Okay. In the Easter, in Christ being... Uh, because Christ has taken our flesh upon him, our yes. nature upon himself, yep. his destruction is the destruction of the evil that comes with that. Yes. Our sins are being nailed to the yes. cross, as it says yes. in Colossians, all right? Yeah, okay, okay. So I think we're ready for Romans 6 now. Yes, <laughs> so, right. So, so if, if you've been following, uh, mm-hmm. Romans 1 is the Gentiles, 2 is the Jews, 3 is everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, finally we build up to Romans 6. He says, don't forget, he's reminding these Romans, you too uh, have been baptized, mm-hmm. uh, were buried in Jerusalem. You're like, wait a second. When did we get buried? We're in Rome right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, yeah. So, so I don't remember being put in a tomb. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's in baptism, it's that death, mm-hmm. uh, that, that the joining of just as Christ was buried in Jerusalem, so we too enter to the in the tomb mm-hmm. with Him. We become one with Him. That's like atonement, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so then we are raised from the waters uh, mm-hmm. of chaos, right? And 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 brought new life uh, in the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so now there's this death that happens, and, and that's Romans eight. He's mm-hmm. elaborating on the death of of the flesh, of the body, this impulse of the appetites, which goes is disordered. But now the new life, which mm-hmm. occurs uh, through the Spirit, and we begin living this out. So on this profound, mystical, and ontological level, in, in, in within the platform are the panorama of salvation history, mm-hmm. with the cross event being the culmination of all of the history of the cosmos, mm-hmm. we enter into that moment yeah, liturgically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, ontologically, our souls are reconfigured, transformed, mm-hmm. uh, and and more I guess most importantly we become participants in the life of God the uh-huh. inner life of God who is a living communion Father, Son and Holy Spirit uh, and so that distance of love uh, between the persons of the, uh, of the Trinity is now one in which we are joined uh-huh. up in that great mystery that unfolding of this um, uh, this life of God and, uh-huh. and so this is uh, the culmination of uh-huh. history of the cosmos, of the human telos. Uh, it, mm. it all comes together here so we can make sense of this. So, uh, let's, yeah. so let's prove that origin is not making stuff. Oh, okay. Let's all go right, back right. to this. So yeah. that in the, the Old Testament Canaanite conquest is a liturgical act. Ultimately, it's, it's a harem. It's a, it's a kind of sacrifice. I mean, that's the, the, the wars are a kind of sacrifice, right? Yeah. Where it's, all, where it's yeah. being consecrated to God and the expiation of evil. Yeah. And then Christ is sacrificed on the cross. So in a sense, that's the Canaanite conquest. The, right. the real Canaanite conquest. Yes. The, the old world being destroyed in the sacrificial harem act of dedication, which is ultimately it's Christ dedicating himself to the Father, right? Yes. Then we are called to participate in that. Yep. And that happens initially, for most people, in baptism, where yep. we enter, as you've said in Romans, right, we enter into the tomb and are raised again. Uh, so we die to self. And as we've discussed in other podcasts, an example of that I would suggest is that the book of Zephaniah has this great apocalyptic imagery about yep. the day where God will come and wipe yes. out the, uh, the enemies of Israel and yep. his own enemies. And that's fulfilled in Pentecost. Oh, yeah. But there's no, we don't see a big massacre on Pentecost. Oh, well, we kind of oh, do. But we do, don't we? Because yeah. we see thousands of people 3, 000, being yeah. baptized. Yeah. Yes. Right? Dying to self and being born again. So that's that's what that, again, that's the Canaanite conquest going on there. It's people yeah. being wiped out in an apocalyptic way. 
yeah. fire falling down on them in a sacrificial way, and then yeah. they die to self no, going down in the water. Not in the way they anticipated. So the fire does arrive. It, the destruction happens. But again, if this is the metanoia of the gospel, mm-hmm. not in a sense that they, they hadn't necessarily initially thought. I mean, mm-hmm. we talked earlier about Samaria and John <laughs> right, right, wanting, yeah, yeah. wanting to rain fire down yes, on yes. Samaritans. But the same Which thing. Which does happen, but not it in does, the way that It he, does happen, yes. yes. But also not in a way where I think we, we've suggested that it is actually there in the Old Testament. Right? You just, yep. if, and this is what Christ is showing. He's not saying, um, you would have had no idea about this had I not shown up, even though in some sense that's true. Yeah. It's actually like, read the scriptures and you'll see this is all there. Yes. <laughs> Search yes. the scriptures and you'll find me there. Yeah. So that happens initially in baptism where we die to self. Our old Canaanite is killed, right? And yes. we become Israel. Um, but, of course, that's an also ongoing because Romans goes on to say, make your bodies a living sacrifice. Yes. Right? So we have to daily take up our cross and follow Jesus. We have to kind of recreate that and yeah. continually, just like, you know, the Israelites had to continually root out the Canaanites um, in a literal sense and among themselves yeah. right, to the extent that they were Canaanites. So we have to continually kind of die to ourselves. Right, Absolutely, yeah. And we, which, yeah. Oh, please. Okay. Which uh, ties into what we said previously about uh, John the Baptist. I'm talk, talking about baptism mm-hmm. here. Uh, and Zacharias uh, Benedictus. You might child, yes, child should be prophesied exactly. most high. Right. So you go before the Lord to pre- prepare his way. And so this idea that our soul Mm-hmm. Right, is our child right? Yes, right. which is used so that, that's so, used by the church fathers to interpret. Yeah. Well, Gregory of Nyssa, if you read what he's talking about with yeah. his interpretation of Moses and Exodus, he says yeah. like the, the Egyptians wanted to wipe out the children of the Hebrews. That's sort of like how Satan wants to wipe out this new man who's been born in us. Right? Yeah, um, we in turn need to kind of root out the firstborn of yes. Satan in ourselves. Yeah, uh, the Proverbs as well. You know, the Proverbs are always talking about disciplining your kids with the rod. Well, yeah. what do celibate monks do with that? They don't have kids. Well, it's, yeah. it's our souls, right? We have to cultivate yes. our souls and bring them up and again and so that brings us to psalm 137 so yeah. this isn't coming out of you know a magician's hat right. to say that no no yeah. these the, the children of babylon and yeah. i mean go back and read what babylon means all through scripture right if you yeah. look at revelation it's yeah. a spiritual reality it's not just yeah. a place yes because rome is babylon too yes <laughs> right yeah. Yeah. um Again, go back to our podcast on the angels yeah. for that. So the children of Babylon, it's a spiritual thing that's going yeah. on here that's being that's trying to rear itself up in us and dying to self. In, in a sense, the infants of Babylon are us. Well, that's it. Right? It's, yeah. my, it's my old self, my old and man, my old Adam trying to come back. Th- that's know? right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, we could go on. I mean, that, of course, that, yeah, that, yeah. That, there's that dynamic going on in Romans 5 with the old and the new and but in any case um, but really so yeah the, the command to die to self that's the application I guess. Deuteronomy 7 does that still apply to us yes it applies every time I try to mortify mortify myself yes right? or, or, or God you know God's grace I cooperate with in trying to mortify and die to self yes. and let the, yeah. you know let Christ live in me Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and thus be the true Israel. Right, so that's the yeah. moral meaning. Yeah, and I think you can see how the allegorical and anagogical are kind of implied Italian. in that yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but so that would be kind of my you know final word on yeah. what we do with with those passages of the Bible yeah. that seem to sanction apparent genocide. Well, yeah. there is a genocide. It's the genocide of Adam. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. the death of the old race that is the human race under yeah. Adam, made of one blood, yeah. um, and the rebirth into this the the new the new race, Adam. right? Yeah, the yeah, new Adam, the right. third race, right? The new yeah. humanity. It's a new it's a new creation that's going on here. Just like it's a new yeah. creation going on in Canaan. Right? Yes. It's a new land of milk and honey, right? That yeah. they're finding and building here, right? Yeah. Which is a symbol of the new creation that comes in Christ with the resurrection. Yeah. Right? Which which makes me admire the way god has set up our our, our cosmos that we have a 
a new day every day, right? You know, it's like every 24 hours, mm-hmm. uh, there's a new sunrise. And so this is like uh, a new creation in, in some ways on, on, a, on a, I guess, a metaphorical level. But, uh, you know, when we pray a morning prayer, uh, mm-hmm. that's the idea is now we're starting again. Yeah. Uh, we're starting again. We're going to live this out. I've been reset. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now here we go. Let's. Well, we, yeah, we, we have this little taste of grace. death yeah. and rebirth every night. That's right. Yeah. Right? And, that, and that refreshed feeling you, you have, God willing, when you wake up. And that's kind of a little picture of, you know, of the new life, the new birth, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there's much more I want to say, but I think that we're going to, we've come to our time. Mm-hmm. And so in another episode, we'll have to get into. We'll talk about the imprecatory songs, yeah, maybe. And, and more of the, uh, the temple, the New Testament. Oh, that's uh, right. Yes, the we'll temple to, yeah, and yeah. Jesus uh, and the fig tree and all yes, the rest. Our, yes, so, Father so, Jim mentioned in his recent homily that you and I could speak better than he could to the parable of the fig tree. So maybe we'll have a whole episode just on that. Uh, yeah, but, so we've been egged on. So uh, we, sure, we'll, yeah. we'll do our best. Yeah. Uh, do, do you want to finish it with a prayer? All right, thank you. Uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, your work in salvation history and the story you tell us in Scripture of our salvation. Uh, we ask, Lord, uh, that we would be able to die to self, uh, to put to death the old Adam in ourselves, and let you live in us. So may we always look to you as our guide, as our Joshua leading us into this new world that you have created. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Saint Isidore, pray, pray for, for us. us. Amen. Holy Spirit.